This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Another retailer in a similar spot with struggles is Barnes & Noble. The book retail chain has been fighting for quite some time against Amazon, which has made a big dent in the book purchasing market. You still see people at their locations, the Barnes & Noble locations, but sometimes they are uh, just as many people sitting in the cafe as there may be in the whole store itself. In recent weeks, there have been calls for management change to try and save this big change. There's even been a suggestion of a sale maybe to an entity like the New York Times. Their value has soared over the last year and a half, currently setting at about $3.2 billion. With more on Barnes & Noble, we are joined here in studio by our friend Peter Fader, who is a marketing professor here at the Wharton School, and also joining us on the phone, Mark Cohen, who is Director of Retail Studies at the Columbia Business School, as well as a former CEO of Sears Canada, Bradley's, and Lazarus Department Stores. And also joining us is uh, Ray Wimmer, who is uh, an Assistant Professor of Retail Practice at Syracuse University School of Management. Pete, as always, great seeing you, my friend. Good morning. Morning, Dan. Thank you very much for joining us. Mark, great to have you with us. Ray as well. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me on. Thank you both. Uh, so uh, give us a kind of a status that you think Barnes & Noble is right now, Pete. Uh, it's it's pretty grim. Uh, uh, I, it's they, They've tried lots of different things from devices to experiences to broadening the merchandise. Nothing's working. I, I think at, at this point that they haven't found that, that hook to, to, to save the business, nor have they really found kind of the, the, the vision or leadership to give people any confidence in it. Mark? Uh, this is late-stage demise. There's no other way to describe it. Uh, they were the last man standing, in, in a sense, in the traditional brick-and-mortar space, but they just haven't figured out how to be, become relevant. Um, too little, too late. Ray? I definitely think it's problematic that they haven't been able to find with consumers changing in their shopping habits and what they're looking for, that they haven't found a strategy that can actually connect with the customers and what they're experiencing, and hence their decline. So do you think that that they are almost, Ray, on, on, a, on a time limit right now? I mean, will we see Barnes & Noble in the next year, two years, whatever that time frame may be, kind of go, uh, go uh, by the boards? Ooh, that, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I think what we'll see is they'll probably close more locations over time in the next few years. As they, they try to struggle with um, a way to sort of reinvent what they're trying to do, and they, they, they haven't kind of found that special ingredient yet. But just to give you just a recent example, in the publishing world, um, the major publishing houses come out, and 2018 is off to a decent start for the publishers. Um, digital audio, which you're not really going to buy in Barnes & Noble, Yep. And um, backlists. So backlists in the publishing world is, so John Grisham comes out with his newest book, but he has 18 to 20 other books out there. The backlists are those 18 to 20, and Barnes & Noble has kind of reduced their inventory to try to hit it with the bestseller, the newest book, and has reduced their backlist. So it's almost exactly the opposite of what's happening in the publishing world and, and what's seeing success. Mark, 
your thoughts and and we've talked with you recently about Toys R Us and obviously that's a you know a chain that's getting ready to close up shop is Barnes and Noble going to follow suit you know it's a, it's it's a pleasant place to go to to uh, grab a cup of coffee it's a pleasant place place to browse the latest magazines and uh, new releases but as you would note if you just visited any of their stores, most of the people visiting Barnes & Noble don't buy anything at Barnes & Noble other than a cup of coffee. The fact is they don't have any point of relevance. They've been flailing for years. Uh, they made an attempt through uh, the Nook uh, to be competitive with Amazon, but they basically have never made uh, go of that. I don't think there's any possibility that they're going to come up with anything miraculous uh, especially in light of the fact that it would inevitably require a, uh, a, a change in the presentation scheme in their stores, which would cost a lot of money. Um, this is going to be another casualty, I think, uh, within the next year or two at, at most. You know, it used to be uh, such a, a powerful brand name, and the, the hope was that you could attach Barnes & Noble to other stuff and yeah. it would convey that, that halo. But I think the, 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 the brand equity it, itself is declining because they can't find anything useful to attach it to, except for one thing, the college bookstores. I, I think yeah. that, that that's, that's, I think remains a goldmine, uh, and it would be maybe best if they could— uh, it, they're separate businesses now, uh, but if they could keep the, the Barnes & Noble name more— uh, clearly attached to that and kind of away from the, the, this other dying business that people think of first. So then in this suggestion that's out there, I've seen it in a couple of places about a, you know, a potential lifeline being thrown out by a broadcast entity or a publishing entity like the New York Times, you know, because they would maybe have a, a vehicle to promote you know that's that's not even a, a a good possibility at this point. Well, I'd say just make the difference between the two Barnes and Noble entities more distinct, uh, and, and invest in because again the, the, those college ones they're they're here to stay. Uh, right. They're they're making a, a good lot of money, uh, so just find ways to to make them uh, seen very very differently from yeah. So 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 give branding or or uh, any kind of identification to somebody else so it doesn't drag down the college brand as well. We are joined uh, here in studio by Peter Fader of the Wharton School and on the phone by Mark Cohen of uh, Columbia Business School, as well as uh, Ray Wimmer of uh, Syracuse University. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Mark, you know, I, I saw an article about this the other day, and they, they mentioned the fact that in terms of some of the things that they have tried to do, the, the leadership of Barnes & Noble, they really put a focal point on the fact that they've tried more so with growth projects than they have putting the money back in dividends back for you know the stockholders and they see that as a as a big problem for this chain or at least part of the big problems for this chain over the last several years well the biggest problem they have is the ideas that they have mounted and spent money against have not been successful uh, and I think the fact that they have not been successful is more predictable than not They've been flash-in-the-pan attempts uh, by adding categories, uh, going into the blogosphere space, things of that sort. When all is said and done, this is a legacy platform that just hasn't managed to um, uh, make itself relevant in the face of the extraordinary appeal of Amazon. Now, that's not to say that physical books aren't viable. There is a tremendous resurgence of local bookstores, 
that's uh, underway. Uh, but these have relevance because they're they're uh, they're coming up out of the ground as green shoots in the communities in which that they're in which they're appearing, and they're not trying to be all things to all people as Barnes and Noble has always tried to be. Uh, so they're 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 either uh, um, picking on a genre or trying to curate an assortment of books that appeals to a local devoted customer. Uh, they're not simply offering up a platform for um, uh, having a, um, your, your, your daily latte, browsing and leaving. Uh, so, so, you know, Amazon is the default, uh, certainly on the digital side, and for many, many customers, the physical side as well. Local retail is resurging. Uh, Barnes & Noble increasingly looks like the dinosaur has, uh, who uh, hangs from the ceiling of the Natural History Museum. Peter? Yeah, I, actually, I'd like to quote uh, a, a colleague, one of my favorite retail pundits, Steve Dennis, who says, the problem isn't uh, retail, it's boring retail. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that that's the, the problem with, with Barnes & Noble. It's, it's the, the, not only have the, these, these attempts that they've made uh, not succeeded in terms of devices or services, but just the way that they go about doing things, there's just nothing there. Uh, that there's just no excitement. Now, maybe, you know, 20 years from now, it'll be a throwback, and, and people will, will remember the good old days, uh, <laughs> but they kind of have to get there. They have to kind of die to be reborn. Well, and, and again, and Ray, I mean, it's been mentioned before, but, I mean, I can, I, I've been in at Barnes & Noble a couple of times in the in the last, you know, three months or so, and really the idea has been going there to get a book for one of my kids because they have a, a reading project that they have for school, and when we go in there, Ray, I mean, if you walk past the cafe, most of the people in there are college students that are on their computers that are doing projects. And realistically, they're not even reading a book that came from the store to begin with. Right. It's almost like Barnes & Noble has become a public library that serves Starbucks coffee. Yeah. And, and that a lot of people just go in and browse, get their cup of coffee, and maybe that's the only purchase they have and walk away. What what I think they're really missing, and, and it could be because of the, their size and everything, is in retail in general, it seems like customers want a personalized experience. And, and it goes to why independents are so successful um, in that, that you have a small genre, you have people that work in the store that know romance or know mystery or know sci-fi or what have you, inside and out and make personalized recommendations and have a conversation with a person. That's a really unique experience. I can't remember the last time I had a conversation with someone like that in a Barnes & Noble. Um, <laughs> my previous life, uh, 15, 16 years ago, was working as the executive at Borders, and I remember in the 90s we did, uh, tried to have booksellers, and we actually trained, uh, when we hired on people, to see did they have an interest in a certain genre of books so they could hold a conversation with the customer, make personalized recommendations to the customer based on, on their experience and background. And in Barnes & Noble, there really is not that kind of unique experience anymore, giving uh, people reason why to go in and shop other than taking you to the book that you're looking for, right? And there's really no discussion. 
And seemingly that that feels Ray like that is one of the biggest issues in in retail today. And we've mentioned with Mark in the past and Peter is the fact that that experience that people are looking for just in many cases, not all, but in many cases, is just not there anymore. You, I, I agree wholeheartedly uh, with you in that 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 experience piece is missing. I, I like the comment about boring retail. If it's boring retail, why don't I just stay in my pajamas? And buy something online instead of dragging myself out to a store to do it. If, if there's a really great reason for me to go that uh, I'm connected with the store, I'm connected with the brand, I'm connected with staff at that store, that really pulls me in. And I, I think we're seeing um, some retailers figuring it out. Obviously, the smaller players are figuring it out a little quicker. They're a little more nimble than the bigger uh, retailers out in the marketplace. 844-942-7866. If you would like to join in with a comment or question, join here in studio by Peter Fader of the Wharton School on the phone with Mark Cohen of Columbia Business School and also uh, Ray Wemmer of Syracuse University, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You know, Mark, it's interesting because that 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 mindset of the smaller bookstore, kind of the, the going towards the mom and pop business, those seemingly, and you have all mentioned it, are, are doing okay right now. And, and it's almost like the, the millennial consumer is drawn to that because that's kind of what they, they are about. It's, it's connecting with the local business in many cases. Well, you know, it may not just be millennials. I, I think um, as I, as I have, have passed a variety of these stores coming up in Manhattan. It's an older customer who's still devoted to physical books, um, who, who really enjoys the interaction between the staff and the inventory. Um, when all is said and done, when Barnes & Noble disappears, there's going to be an enormous amount of sentimentality, as there is inevitably for many of these brands that disappear. But the the hard, cruel fact is that They've lost their customer, and uh, I can't imagine what the New York Times would see in uh, in the company. Uh, the New York Times seems to have just survived a near-death experience in their own right, and is facing the inevitable continued decline of print journalism uh, in in favor of digital. Uh, the earlier comment uh, Peter made about the bookstore, uh, the bookstore business is is a necessarily viable, but the bookstore brand is the university in which it serves, not Barnes & Noble. And so there is a Barnes & Noble University bookstore here at Columbia, and the Barnes & Noble uh, brand equity is virtually um, um, non-existent. And the people who are shopping in that location are interested in textbooks and Columbia material um, uh, and sundries. They're not, they're not shopping that location because it's a Barnes & Noble. So, uh, you know, it's bleak, it's, uh, it's unhappy, but it's, in my opinion, inevitable. And, uh, and I had hinted at this, uh, just to echo what, what Mark said uh, earlier, the, the idea that uh, it, it's kind of ironic that Barnes & Noble is now seen as kind of 
uh, kind of just big and bland and just has no personality, no kind of street cred when it comes to kind of kind of authentic, community-oriented reading. It will come back. I think yeah. we, we have to let the brand go. Uh, we have to let a generation pass. And then it will come back and we'll start small. Someone will, will buy the name and attach it to some small local curated thing. And at that point, people will look at it and say, that's authentic. That's real. That's <laughs> books. Yeah. Uh, so very true. Uh, so 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 there is equity in the brand, but they kind of have to let it go. There's I think there's just no way they can take the assets they have now and and, and turn it into something that people will love again. Well, and, and again, Mark, and, and playing off of something that we've talked with you about it is the fact that that, that is going to leave a, a, another case of a lot of real estate in these mall areas that is going to be you know left for I don't know what at this point. Well, this is the uh, inevitability of um, this this uh, paradigm shift that's uh, in full swing that has quite a few years yet to run before anyone can really understand where the end game is. Uh, lots of these malls will continue to have empty spaces, and eventually uh, many, many of them will fail. Some will redevelop as lifestyle centers or create some experiential core. Uh, maybe there will be an opportunity for local bookstores to come on back into the mall in a smaller footprint with far more reasonable rent. Uh, that may very well occur in some of these uh, locations. Um, Amazon is not likely to open a thousand of their bookstores. I know the real estate community would love for that to be the case. Yeah. But I do think they're going to continue to open more of their stores, which are delightful to shop but which really are platforms for their technology more than a physical space with which to sell books. Ray, your thoughts? Uh, in terms of the space, um, I, I really don't know um, if Barnes & Noble col collapses and leaves a lot of space. What's interesting to me, at least in the central New York area, is all the Barnes & Nobles are really not attached to malls. They're part of a strip mall. Um, in our surrounding area, and I don't know what would be able to come in and fill that space if it's emptied. And the thing is, is most of the footprints of Barnes & Noble are quite large. Yeah. I think it would have to be split up, divided up, you know, two or into two stores, three stores for somebody to come in there. Well, that's going to take some time. Well, and, and it's gotten to the point where, realistically, Mark, uh, how much does does Barnes and Noble even market themselves in the public these days, outside of just having the stores itself? Well, Ray's point is well taken. They're freestanding, but they are in close proximity to, uh, typically, to um, shopping malls. Um, you know, some of them are just going to get uh, bulldozed out. Some will turn into some alternative use. Uh, it, it's hard to imagine who would spend a lot of money breaking the space up into multiple tenants, but I guess that's possible. Right. Uh, at the end of the day, um, thank goodness people continue to read, although the migration over to digital product, I think, is just going to continue. Um, young people seem to be wedded to uh, digital uh, without regard to physical product. I rarely see students on campus here at Columbia lugging around book bags full of textbooks, as was the case some years ago. Uh, so there's an increasingly 
uh, a, a level of appeal to alternative forms of, uh, of media. I, I just think it's very sad that this company, which was the, um, the gold standard, if you will, in many respects, just completely lost its way and uh, has been seemingly completely unable to, uh, to find a new path for themselves. Peter? And when it goes, which I think we all agree is, is just a matter of time, um, I think the, the way in which it goes and the reaction to it, uh, it's going to be very different than, let's say, Toys R Us. Uh, in that case, it was like, whoa, it was, that was quick. Like, what happened? Yeah. Uh, what's going to happen here is people going to say, I mean, that didn't happen already? <laughs> that they, They're yeah. still around? Yeah. Uh, and, and again, that's, it's, it's really sad, but, uh, but the, 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 there, there's nobody who's going to say, you know, well, they put up a good fight. They'll say, you know, the, the, this, this was their fate years ago, and, uh, and it's been kind of painful to watch. Again, the, to join in with your comments, 844-942-7866, or if you'd like, on Twitter, at BizRadio111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I, I, and again, I mean, this is a, a, a bigger issue just in general with a lot of these legacy brands, these legacy stores, Peter, that just uh, in, they're not able to make that adjustment. They're not able to make that adaptation to what we're seeing now as the the one of the consumer here in the year 2018 and beyond, and and seemingly this has been a bigger shift, I think, and and you would and the rest of the guests would know this. This feels like a bigger shift in this sector in the last five ten years than maybe we'd seen in in this type of sector in the prior fifty years to that. Well, well, part of it, of course, is because of the closeness to Amazon. Yeah, uh, that just makes it particularly acute. That that it's it's real easy to say it is Amazon that drove Barnes and Noble out of business. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think it's Barnes and Noble that drove itself out of business by yeah. not a- adapting to the to the times and and kind of moving with its customers. Uh, I, I, it's uh, I, I, it's just real easy to to jump to that conclusion. Uh, probably not warranted. I think there'll be uh, other big boxes going away. But on the other hand, let's you know give a shout out to a Best Buy that that seemed to be on this very same trajectory. Yeah. And man, oh man, have they turned things around and just in a, in a really dramatic way. Uh, and who knows how long it'll last, but, but right now they're, they're proving that you actually can survive yeah. if you make it exciting, if you make it different, if you give people good reason to go there. Ray? Yeah, I, I think Barnes & Noble, the, the biggest thing is, is the, the money and what they backed in the past 8 to 10 years were all the wrong bets, and what it's going to take is, is a ton of money, and I just don't see anybody yeah. having the pallet to allow them to do that going forward. Yeah. Uh, because if you look, it's sort of the same story with Toys R Us. They got in a situation where they really couldn't uh, take the money to truly innovate what they were providing to people, along with their debt and all that other stuff, that there was really kind of no escape for them. So unless somebody steps forward, and I don't think it's going to happen, to truly change and actually understand a way to connect with that customer, it, it's just not going to happen. Let's go to the phones right now. Joanne is in Los Angeles, California. Joanne, welcome to the show. Hi. Good morning. Uh, good well, morning. Good morning for me. <laughs> Still morning for us here in Philadelphia. That's all right. Go ahead. Uh, hi. Yes, I'd like to see Barnes & Noble go smaller and have more authors coming in and events because that is one of the things that was unique and nice about them as well as, you know, other things. And that would be an event that, you know, could is different. 
from Amazon. Well, and I mean, we talked about the space issue to, uh, to adapt all these stores, but the, the book events with the authors and, and maybe doing more book clubs and stuff, th- those are ways to kind of connect with consumers. And they've, they've tried a little bit of that, but uh, it's, it's just, it's, real, it's not in their DNA anymore. Uh, they're, yeah. a, they're a big box. They're, they're uh, yeah. the kind of uh, one size fits all. Uh, and I think it's the, these, these small local places uh, that just can, can do that kind of thing better. Uh, it's it's better space for it. They do it with more you know genuine authenticity yeah. that, rather than the kind of the the fakey vanilla kind that that Barnes and Noble would would layer on. One of the other things I wanted to touch on before we we end this segment, uh, Mark, was some news earlier today. Uh, Marvin Ellison, uh, who had been running uh, J C Penney, has decided that he is going to go over to Lowe's. Now he was uh, in Home Depot before he went over to J C Penney, uh, but this seemingly this move by Marvin Ellison feels like it's it's going to be one of the last steps for J.C. Penney as a, as a retailer, correct? Oh boy, 13 years of catastrophic, uh, near catastrophic leadership. Um, you know, uh, uh, Myron Ullman was the bad choice in 2005. Uh, uh, Ron Johnson was installed by some private equity uh, uh, players, and he was a catastrophic presence. Ullman um, uh, came back and tried to execute a save and, in fact, caused the company to take on an extraordinary amount of expensive, restrictive debt. And Ellison, though I'm told was regarded as a good manager, uh, had no merchandising chops whatsoever and has done very little, if anything, in a positive way to reposition the business for the future. And so, you know, he jumps ship, uh, he does it abruptly. Uh, anybody's guess what the company will do uh, to replace him. Uh, I fear J.C. Penney is yet another victim in this saga that we've been talking about. Ray, your thoughts? I, I definitely think um, they're, they're going to be another victim in the saga because if you look, uh, Macy's has shown some some bright lights uh, in their most recent reporting. It seems like the strategies that they've been investing in are going to help turn around the business. Uh, Nordstrom, even though the street didn't like their their um, numbers, at least reaction to the numbers, they seem to to be betting into the future as well. And I, I just don't see uh, J C Penney being able to find a lever there to help them into the future. Peter, it's it's easy to uh, to jump on it, but well, let's let's do it again. It's boring retail. You know, you look at, uh, at Macy's. Not to say their savior will necessarily be their their, their purchase of of story, but it's but it's movements like that to try to make it interesting, to try to give people good reasons to come, not just discounts. Uh, J C Penney just hasn't found a way to achieve anything like that. Great having you all with us, uh, Ray. Great to have you with us. Joining us from Syracuse, Mark. As always, great to talk to you. Thank you both, Peter. Great seeing you. Thank you all. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.